Hi, and welcome to episode 10 of Master's Choice Podcast. Today's co-host with me is Kevin Kuhn, CEO of Master's Choice. We're going to be talking about some weather issues during planting. We're also going to be talking about, you know, whether there's an advantage to a white cob over a pink cob hybrid. And also in studio today is our guest, Alex Feller, Director of Finance. And we'll be just talking about some general business practices, but really kind of keying on hiring the right people and what a great team that Master's Choice has put together. Thanks for joining us today. Welcome to MC Podcast, Episode 10. In studio today, we have Kevin Kuhn, CEO and also mini hat wearer around here. In fact, you, this morning you had a different hat on because you were hunting turkeys this morning. That's right. And we, we had to clarify for some folks in the office that mini hats didn't necessarily mean, wasn't, wasn't small hats, but multiple hats. Multiple hats, that's exactly yes, right. Yes, yes. Uh, so, you know, as, as CEO and director of R&D, um, I get uh, I get pulled into all kinds of uh, all kinds of projects. Absolutely. So uh, being being the director of of R and D, you you kind of help coordinate all of the nursery planning and make sure that everybody's getting in and plot planting and and make sure that Kyle's getting all the plots he'd at and and so you're 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 really directing all of that uh, from a management side. So um, the question now is. How are you managing all of the uh, all of the antsiness to get everything planted? You know, it's it's uh, th- this is a frustrating point in the in the season for us because you know we start so last fall we started shelling stuff coming out of the nursery and already beginning to make plans to what was going to go in the ground this spring, and we had a relatively dry mild winter. Um, March was really nice. Uh, in fact, we had some guys locally that planted some hybrid seed corn around us in March. Um, you know, uh, soil conditions were good. Um, if anything, we were a little concerned it was going to be too dry. Uh, then when we roll into mid-April, as we start to hit our ideal planting window, all of a sudden here comes the rain, and we even had, have had some some cool weather. Um, right. You know, so so we've got, uh, you know, Cullen, our, our, our plant breeder, he is uh, – he is having a hard time sleeping at night right now. He is so antsy wanting to get in the field, but, uh, you know, it, it's, it's just too, absolutely too wet for us to go right now. So, so not only, so actually, in, in to be honest, we probably could have planted a couple of days this week, but the, the fact that the forecast was showing several inches of rain coming. And, and so for us, that's, uh, you, you know, planting that inbred seed, planting that seed that's a, got, doesn't have quite the hybrid vigor, for us, that's a that's a risk. Absolutely. So we've had, um, so I, I, I talked to some uh, uh, some cooperators in the last week here locally, um, and I think we've had a uh, depending on the location, we've had around uh, well before last night's big rain, we'd had a, about six inches since Easter. So you know, ten twelve day period, we've had six inches. Got another two inches last night. Forecast another inch and a half to two inches tomorrow night. So you know, they're just kind of stacked in one right after another, and you know we. We actually, uh, we had a lot of wind, uh, some good sunshine midweek, uh, and we had a period there where conditions would have let us go if we wanted to go, uh, but it was just too risky to put that, that inbred seed in the, in the ground. You know, if I'd have been going out to plant hybrid seed corn, uh, you know, with a really good seed treatment on it, a, you know, a, a Cruiser two, uh, uh, Cruiser Max 250 product, uh, I probably would have been comfortable going, but when we're talking about, uh, when we're talking about inbreds, 
Uh, they just don't have the vigor of hybrid seed corn, you know, so it just, it wasn't worth the risk of getting that crop off to a slow start. So, so for us, you're, you're right. It, it, it's not worth the risk, you know, I mean, even if we have to wait a week, right, it's, it's, it's worth the risk to, to wait a week to get a little bit later on. What about for that, for that regular farmer? I mean, how, how much risk is he taking putting seed in? And, and like I said, you said we've got an inch and a half coming tomorrow night, but actually if you look in, until the next three or four days, you, we've got four inches forecasted. Right. So, so at what point does it make sense for him to say, okay, I'm going to hold off even if it takes me a week or 10 days. At, at what point does, is that risk worth it? You know, this is, this is the time of the year where, where the farmer really feels like a gambler, you know, um, it, the, the start of your corn crop is so critical because, you know, prior to that V4 stage is when all that growth or that yield potential is being being determined. Um, and any stresses that you incur in that early period really, really damage your, uh, your yield potential. Um, and on top of that, you can run into some quality effects that you can't right. see in your feedstuff in right. the long run. You know, so, so the decisions on um, that you're making early are probably as critical as any you make throughout the growing season. And, you know, the, the push is every year is we got to get earlier. We got to be out earlier. And, you know, while, you know, there is a lot of data, especially if we look at grain yield data that will back right. that up, early planted corn will out yield late planted corn. Um, <clears throat> but there, there, are, there are so many risks that come with some of that, that early stuff um, that oftentimes, uh, especially when we're talking about corn silage, um, you know, in, in the last you know, four or five years, I've seen a number of times where the last corn silage planted in a lot of these regions turns out being the best yield and the best quality product. Yes, yes, I, I and I'm and I'm right there with you. You know, one of the things that I would always recommend to a guy is, okay, so you you know maybe he's uh, going to plant something 112 day. You know, there's no problem if you can't get in for a couple of weeks. There's no problem backing that down to 107 or 108 day kind of hybrid. Sure, and and you know the other thing that you look at there too, um, especially if we're talking corn silage, um, and, and you and Kyle, uh, have, have seen what happens in the fall when we start harvesting plots, there is not much difference in harvest time on right. a lot of these products. You know, when we're, when we're taking out these big plots, you know, we could have material anywhere from 85 to maybe up to 117 days in some locations, um, and we always get an early wave of stuff that's ready to come out. And then it seems like inevitably but every, everything turns within, within two few, weeks. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can harvest the 80, 85 day stuff. And then two weeks later, you're, you're at almost proper moisture for the 117 day stuff. Sometimes it's not even, you know, it's not even, you know, three weeks. Right. You know, so, so I don't, I don't see a, you know, a huge span in harvest time when we're looking at differences in relative maturity, you know, so, so don't get too scared off of, uh, off of what you're currently planning to use. But yeah, and, and um, you have the option of going shorter uh, because the way the genetics are now, you know, you don't, you don't give up that much yield uh, by going back two, three, maybe even five days. Maybe even five days. And, and so, I guess that was one of the questions that I was going to have. You know, a lot of guys, it seems to me, are, are making. I, I don't. I don't want to necessarily say irrational, but but maybe ill-informed decisions uh, about you know relative maturity. Oh, you know, if I plan 112 day, I, in fact, I, I I know that last year in uh, northern Wisconsin there was a guy who planned 113 day. He he was kind of doing a little experiment, but wanted wanted to see if it would even if it would even get to black layer. 
right? And um, and unfortunately, la- last year it it did, and it turned out okay. Uh, not something that we'd recommend every year, but sometimes it seems to me a guy's like, well, if I don't get my 112 day or my 115 day or or depending on where they're at, my 105 day, I'm not going to make as good or as much corn silage as as I can. But that's just not the case. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and the thing to remember and what I stress to guys, when we're talking about relative maturity, that is a relative maturity, you know, so right. it's not an exact science on on how that corn's... Uh, going to finish up uh, in the fall. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of variability uh, depending on conditions, how much moisture you get, uh, leaf disease, how, what's the health package like on that corn hybrid, you know. So, um, you know, I see guys get really hung up on, on not what a relative maturity number is. Uh, it's important, you know, uh, you want to be in the range for your, right. uh, for your, uh, your region. Um, but, you know, it's important that we don't get so so hung up on that that we miss some opportunities because it's really about heat units. How many heat units that corn really gets, right? You know, and and you know, you got an eighty-five day corn in a northern part of the United States or even into Canada. You know, it's going to take eighty-five days to get that number of heat units. Whereas if I pull that eighty-five day corn down to southern Illinois, it actually takes fewer days to get that number of heat units. And then, then those heat units, when they come, they can really stack up pretty fast. Sure, and we never know what kind of summer we're going to have. Are we going to have a hot, dry summer, or is this going to be one of those years where it's overcast and cool most of the time? You know, right. so so all those factors really, really play into how that that hybrid's going to perform. Um, there again, here the farmer, he's he's kind of a gambler. He's making decisions. Uh, so you kind of got to you kind of got to sit down and make a game plan before we get to this point in the year and decide, you know. How am I going to manage my acres? And and for the most part, you kind of stick to stick to your guns. Right, right. Um, you know, we're talking about ill-informed decisions, and it kind of kind of sparked a thought in in my in my mind here. Right. Um, you know, one of the other things that I see a guys making ill-informed ill-informed decisions about is cob color, and and I you know I just I want to jump off on that for a second. I mean it, it but but really, you know. As as a nutritionist, or, or as looking at things in a in a nutritional uh, avenue, um, basically, I, I don't see any difference between a white cob and a pink cob and a red cob nutritionally. You know, nor do I see that uh, with with um, those genetics bringing different starch characteristics in, in corn hybrids. And and from a genetic side, Kevin, you can maybe explain that out a little bit for us. Yeah, so when you're talking about um, just looking at the gen- from a genetic side, when you're looking at cob color, so um, so basically um, white white cobs are recessive, um, you know, so that's that's a somewhat of a recessive trait. So if we take a white cob uh, and we put any kind of a red cob on it, so if I take a white cob female inbred and I take a red or a pink cob um, male and cross it. My the the seed that the farmer is going to wind up with in the field, it's going to be some variation of red. So okay. that that white always gets diluted. Right. You know. So in order for us to produce a hybrid that is a true white cob variety, we have to cross two white cob inbreds to to create that that parent. Okay. And and are there any, um, you know, do you do you see any genetic propensities? Maybe that's the word. Genetic propensities with white cob inbreds. I mean, are, are they throwing any better or any worse? So what I see, and, you know, and, and there are different avenues we can go down with this. You know, we can talk nutritionally and agronomically right. as well. Uh, when we look at, at agronomics, you know, I, and, and, and I'll kind of start there first. Um, 
there there is a there is a mindset, especially in the in the world of uh, a row crop grain, um, that that you give up um, some manageability, some some harvestability with a white cob. Um, and that is because it, if you go way back, uh, way back several years, uh, you look at some of those early white cob varieties that came out, uh, they didn't dry out, they, they held their moisture longer, uh, they had a tendency to um, basically to disintegrate when they go through the combine. Okay. Um, you know, so they, they didn't handle as well as red cobs did. They didn't, the, the for kernel, the, for the grain for guy, the grain guy, the okay. kernels wouldn't break clean. Um, you know, and a lot of guys still kind of have that mentality that, Okay, white cobs are for silage or for, you know, if I'm going to leave the cobs in, red cobs are, are for combining. Um, that, that is absolutely not the case with modern genetics. Um, in fact, some of the, uh, so if you look at our lineup or even if you look at other lineups in the industry, some of the best genetics out there are white cobs, uh, and there are some great red ones. You know, so, so, you know, from an agronomic standpoint, don't make your decisions based on what cob color is from right. an agronomic standpoint, from, from what I've seen. And, 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 I, and I'll take that a step further from a nutrition side. There's, there's no reason to also, uh, you know, we've looked at, we look at several hybrid crosses every year, uh, probably, you know, a, a couple hundred and, and nowhere do I ever see, you know, I've seen white cobs that do not perform well. And I see red cobs that perform great. Um, the thing that I do see still is a little bit of a palatability issue. Mm -hmm. A lot of times with a white cob, there, there may be just a little less sorting, uh, out of those, out of those cobs, but you know, you get a good, a good chopper with a good kernel processor and, and, and really, you know, um, really you don't, you don't, you don't find that when, when things have been, uh, chopped well and processed at the right moisture and, 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 and done well, uh, and I and I've even taken I've even taken some really dark red cobs, some pink cobs, and some white cobs. Run them through, you know, forage analysis, and and there is really no difference there between those nutritionally whatsoever. Right. But but I I know that that's one of those things that some guys you know they just they have a, they have this kind of you know ill informed thing or maybe it was their experience. You know, I had a better experience with this white cob hybrid than I did this this red cob hybrid and that's kind of formed their opinion. Right. I think a lot of growers are making decisions on what you talked about before with sorting in the bunk, you know, where, yeah. where we see big cob pieces in there. Um, you know, and and that's that's pretty common that you see that cows don't sort the white cobs as much as they do the red ones. Right. Uh, but like you say, uh, you know, a kernel processor takes care of that takes care of that easily and uh, and just because we see the sorting doesn't always mean it's tied to a difference in digestibility. Exactly, and and, and nutrient value. So right. there, there there really is is no difference there. So you know, uh, last last episode we talked with uh, with Scott and Toby, and we really talked about you know what what a farmer should expect from their seedsmen. Well, and I think this is one of those those places where a, a, a grower should not really get so focused on I gotta have the white cob or I gotta have this. He should really listen to a seedsman and say, "Look, we've seen this hybrid. No matter what the cob color is, we've seen it perform well nutritionally, agronomically, yield wise, in your location on this kind of field that you've got." And really, you know, really pay attention to that and not not try to get so hung up on some of those things that are really just based on 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 experience and and and, and opinion. So, um, you know, so we we talked that you you wear different hats uh, at, at Master's Choice. And so you do, you do wear that, that, uh, 
director of, of R&D, but you also wear the CEO hat where you gotta, you got to kind of rally the troops and, and all of those things. Um, earlier, you, you, did a, you did a vlog uh, on our YouTube channel about, and you made some mentions about teamwork around here. Talk to us a little bit, kind of about about the the way that the team works here. You know, I mean, and, and maybe that's one of those catchphrases we hear a lot in business. But but just talk about as as a CEO and, and a director of the whole business, how how you like to see teamwork work. Sure, and you know, first off, you know, I'll, I'll just say from uh, when we're when we're talking about Master's Choice specifically, um, you know, it's an it's an incredible work environment. Um, the Crabtree family has done a great job um, of building a a business that's uh, that's centered around Christ yep. first, yep. Um, and they have put together a team um, of excellent people um, that are a, a lot of fun to work with, and, and and you know that that makes a lot of this success and a lot of this teamwork really easy because we have great people here, um, and and the focus is where it should be, and you know. Uh, when, when we look at uh, when we look at the team here, you know, look at the the Anna office, um, you know, for lack of better words, you know, we, we function as a family. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we we start every morning gathered around the uh, the table in the conference room and do a, a morning devotional every day. Um, you know, so so everybody's able to interact, um, and and that that kind of a, a setting really allows us to function well as a team. So you get members of sales and marketing, members of R&D, members uh, of accounting. Do we do we really want accounting in there though? I mean, are we So so I, I Lynn has had told me when 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 I was first hired, he made a statement. He said, you know, you you don't have to be a Christian to work here, but some days it makes it uncomfortable. And we know that accounting folks don't have souls. You know what I mean? So we're so really devotion is about converting them, correct? Well, I don't know if I would say it's about converting them, but but we definitely have uh, some varying personalities in the family. We'll say that. Um, but, uh, but you know, it, it's really easy for for all those departments to kind of fit and function together when we're we're sitting under the same roof. Yeah. And you know, uh, you know, it's it's planning time, uh, and when it when things dry out. Uh, you can bet planners are going to be running in multiple directions. Um, there are going to be members of sales and marketing going to be stepping in to help. Um, you know, so whoever whoever's available uh, is is going to step in and help. Uh, and we have a team of folks that that's always ready to to step up and help and and do uh, whatever is needed. And you know, um, where where the where teamwork really um, I guess gets more difficult, um, and where we kind of have to take things to another level is where we start to talk about uh, offsite employees right. and we start to talk about uh, dealer distributor networks that are around the country, um, you know, because uh, we all have to function together. Uh, we've got Michael Lake is, is up in central Illinois managing a, an R and D facility up there. Uh, we just had, uh, we just had uh, Kyle up there helping him get a nursery planted. So we do have one nursery in the ground, yes. you know, so, uh, so the, the smallest of the nurseries is in, but, uh, um, you know, you, you kind of, you really have to, uh, you have to be deliberate in your organization, uh, and your communication with, with offsite employees to kind of keep that, um, you know, it, it's hard to maintain that family feel when you don't sit in the same room with someone every day. Um, but I think we've, I think we've done a good job, uh, of keeping communication lines open, uh, you know, and, and the folks that are, that are working outside of this office, whether it be the, the staff down at Pulaski at the conditioning facility, 
uh, Michael up in central Illinois, uh, the marketing guys up in St. Louis, um, you know, everybody understands that, um, that we're all on the same team and that we're all, we're all working together for, for the good of the, of the, of the whole. Yeah. And, and I would agree. I think that a lot of that has to do with the, the culture that we build and, and, and being intentional as, as that central family union or however we want to talk about that, being intentional to, to reach those guys out there. But also it, it's not just about, um, ongoing communication. There's, there's an intentionality about who we hire and, 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 and why, you know, I mean, you know, I, I think there's a lot of times that, that, that we'll hire, we see somebody who, who maybe doesn't fit and, and, and we have to say, okay, you know, it's going to be hard to, to, to bring you into the fold, so to speak, where, whereas maybe we, we look for those people who are, who are going to, to be able to, to just kind of help be part of that family. And, and the bigger we grow, the more difficult that's going to get. Yeah. And, um, you know, so, we see a lot of people that get really hung up on qualifications, you yeah. know, so what, what college degrees do I have? What kind of work experience do I have? Um, and you know, there, there are certain positions where, where you have to have some education to come in and, and step in and do the job. But, um, you know, for, for me as, as CEO, when I'm, when I'm setting in and interviewing people and, uh, looking at people to fill positions, um, you know, we are, we are really looking uh, we are looking for people that that fit the mold, people that that uh, that fit the team, and you know, people that are going to step in and be team players. Um, you're looking for people that that are that are hardworking, yep. you know, and and are not afraid uh, to have to step out of you know, hey, this this is my task, these are my responsibilities. They're not afraid to step over here and help another department, right? Um, you know, so so finding people that, that have that personality, that have that work ethic that, you know, that, you know, and, and that's the thing here at Master's Choice, we have a team of people that, uh, you know, I don't, it's, it's fun to manage a group when you don't, when you don't have to watch over their shoulder all the time. Yeah. Um, it, it makes my job really easy. I'm able to focus on proactive things out, out in front because I know that, uh, you know, the people that we have in place, um, you know, they're going to show up and they're going to, just absolutely do everything they can to just to knock it out of the park every day and, right. and come in and work hard. And those are the kind of people that we're, that we're looking for. Um, you know, and, and I know we've got uh, Alex coming in here as, as a guest. Yes. Um, and, and Alex can give us a lot of insight in, in that too. You know, and Alex uh, kind of serves as a part of our GM team as well. Um, and, uh, and Alex has got, a, will have a lot of good insight kind of on, on hiring and how we, how we find people that fit the mold here for master's yeah. choice. And, and so I, I would, I would say, you know, we've, we've been really blessed and to be able to find those people that, that, uh, that, that do fit, you know, and, and maybe don't have the pedigree, so to speak with all the letters behind their names, but they're hardworking. They get the job done. They, they see the vision and the goal of master's choice and they're willing to come in be part of the family, roll up their sleeves, and, and really that's the kind of people that we that we want to hire and that, that I want to work with uh, when we do that. So uh, you're right, Alex is uh, going to be our, our guest in the studio today, and and you and him are just going to kind of talk about you know as Master's Choice is a growing business, maybe some some pluses, some minuses, some pros, some cons, some difficulties, some challenges, but some opportunities, and just kind of give some advice for maybe somebody who is uh, who has got a, a growing business. Sure. 
Joining us in the studio now is Alex Feller. Alex, thanks for joining us today. Good to be back, Mark. Hey, I appreciate you bringing a little class to I, the joint. I missed it so much. You know, last time was so fun. I just I wanted to come back. So hey, I'm you know I mean that's what we do here. We're, yeah, we're just we're just party people. And in fact, Kevin and I, that's really kind of what we've been talking about is is the team uh, teamwork aspect here and the and the team feeling and the family feeling that that we have here. And, and we we're talking a little bit about hiring practices. And, and not really necessarily looking for the guy who's got the pedigree behind their name, but a guy who's going to come in and work hard and do those kind of things. So, Alex, give us, give us another little introduction about, about what you do here. And then I want you to kind of talk about when you got hired here, kind of, kind of the way that all kind of worked. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we do have a different, a different approach to it here at Master's Choice. I think that's one of the things that, that separates us from most of the other companies out there. Um, so mine, mine's a good example of kind of a, I don't want to call it a standard necessarily, but it's just kind of typical. Yeah. Um, I was, I was actually brought on as a part-time intern when I was in college in 2012. Um, and then that back when you were a wee lad, I, yeah, back when I was much younger relative, I guess. But, um, so my, my, my first job was actually just data entry in the accounting office. Okay. And so. Uh, I didn't know it at the time, but what Lynn and Paul were using that for was just kind of an analysis of work ethic and skill and um, separating, you know, do we put faith in, in a degree or do you put faith in the, the person? Right. And uh, he, he kind of told me at the end of the summer that's what he was doing uh, and offered me a full-time job at that time. So it, it was a different approach. We actually, um, we actually tried to, to see people in the working environment more. Um, than it than just trying to focus on an interview or credentials or references, all of those things are really important, but they're not supremely important because right. ultimately they're not going to impact how they operate day to day, how they interact with the current staff and what skills they bring to the table. It, you really can't be told everything you need to know from an interview and from a resume. Okay, and so that kind of does distinguish Master's Choice in that we we focus on on. I don't want to call them necessarily like real world skills because you can you can glean a little bit, but uh, like you said before, the the team aspect is also really important. How they interact, how, how they interact, and how they're how they're going to fit with us. So so you started off dated entry, mm-hmm. and now your title is ever changing. Ever changing. I mean, <laughs> uh, it is currently director of finance. So okay. so I oversee uh, the accounting office and then also work with the departments on their budget planning. Now Alex is the one that den- that denies our budget request Denied. when we want to buy new toys. Yeah, professional sayer of the word no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've experienced that a time or two. Sorry. Yeah. Well, Nothing I mean, personal. Yeah. Well, so sometimes I think it is. <laughs> Depends <laughs> on what it is. <laughs> You know, okay, I'm just going to let you know. I'm just being honest okay, with you here. I'm from, sorry. From everybody. We can talk about this out of studio. Out of studio. We'll, we'll, we'll reconcile. Can we do it over lunch, like wings? Well, if you're paying for it, yes. Dang, that's what I thought. See, <laughs> see, there he is again. No, denied. <laughs> I need a stamp. So, so, so you, you're brought in data entry. You're, you're in charge of, of uh, you know, financing. So, uh, director of financing, all, all of those things. And, and really, I, I will be honest about this. You know, as, as much as we make fun of people from accounting and financing and that they don't have souls and they probably <laughs> won't live long lives, but um, <laughs> all, all of those things, you know, really wor- working working with you, and there are very few of those times, you, you recognize that when somebody comes in and says, I have a need for this, and, and this is where this is where I'd like to take my department, you really sit down and you listen and you think through that, and you really fit in well w- w- with that with that team aspect. So, so let's let's kind of bring this around to this point. Okay, we here at, at Master Choice have this really great, unique 
position with with our employees and our team. So what about what about on a farm? You know what what does what does how, how does this translate into a guy who's out there and maybe he's added cows, maybe he's added acres, and he says, "Man, now I've got to hire somebody." How do how do I you know how do I need to do this? What what kind of things does, do you think he needs to be looking for? There there is probably enough uh, material in what you just talked about to cover about eight hours of, of discussion. But um, generally, what you're looking for is somebody who aligns with what you're aiming to do. Okay. So that's kind of a mission statement thing, which again is is, is its own topic. But right. you know who who is somebody that you would have confidence in to say I I trust you that we're headed in the same direction. We believe the same things about you know, what our operation is supposed to look like at its, at its core, okay. um, things we will spend money on or things we won't, things we'll compromise on, things we won't. Um, and you can learn a little bit about that from an interview, but it doesn't hurt to know the person first. Yeah. Um, so don't shy away from necessarily hiring people that you know, but also, uh, you know, kind of broaden your, your perspective a little bit and talk to somebody you don't know in the hiring process. Um, there, to, to sum it up in a few sentences, you want somebody who's going to uh, challenge you, but also be a teammate with you, um, because you don't want to hire yourself. You okay. may, you, well, you yeah, may want to hire yourself. I mean, you know, I, I we talk about this quite often around here. I feel sorry for people who aren't. I me. I've heard this before. You know, and and so you know, working with other people like me would would be would be wonderful. I I can tell you from experience. You know, when when we start hiring people into R and D, um, you know, you only go back a few years and. And largely, I, I touched everything that, that happened in, in R&D from an agronomic standpoint and genetic standpoint. And we are quickly to a point now where we have hired people that are far more qualified for that position than, right. than I am. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of tasks that I can't help them with anymore. They are, you know, and, and, and that's the way it should always be, you know. Um, Good point. You, the people that you're hiring should always be raising the bar on on their talent, uh, on their work ethic, you know, and um, you know, you should always be you should always be raising the bar, I guess, kind of on where the standards is, at. Is that kind of why we haven't hired uh, a nutrition research associate because we haven't found that person who could raise the bar and really be better than me? Did you not talk to him about this yet? I, I, I don't think that's a related topic. <laughs> okay, I, just, we, I we was wondering. I just, you know, I'm just, I'm just asking the question. I'm we have asking. a lot to talk about when we're done here. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you guys, you guys are right. So, so a guy on a farm, he, he shouldn't, he shouldn't shy away. And, and here's another thing that I, that I think that's interesting. We have a fairly young staff here. You know, I'm, I, and, you know, I'm sitting at the table here. I got the most gray in my beard, and. Um, yeah, some some and some people around here can't even grow beards. That was mean. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but but the fact of the matter is, we, we actually have a fairly young young staff, and and I think that I think that's I think that's probably an anomaly in a, in a lot of places. Uh, but really, finding that even if they're young, uh, you know, finding that person who's really going to fit is is very important. Yeah. What what are y'all's experience with with the with the youth of of this of, of this company? If you well, I may am I a member of this? Well, you I, can you can talk about it in on one side or the other. I'm biased, so um, generally speaking, I mean, if we're talking about hiring on the farm, you're going to run into this eventually, and you're going to hear about a thousand times a day the uniqueness between generations. So right. uh, you know, right now, the generation that everybody's talking to about or talking about with regard to joining the workforce is millennials. So millennials are born, I think it's like ninety nineteen eighty four through ninety six or seven or something that was there's a that's there's a, after i was born yeah man. 
there's a 14 year window there where, you know, these people are just now starting, some of them are just start, starting to graduate college and, and join the workforce. Um, the, the uniqueness is probably not as important as how you, how you play strengths and weaknesses. And okay. it's kind of what Kevin alluded to before, which was you don't want to hire somebody that has your exact same strengths because then you're still exposed to weakness on your operation. That's, that's a great, that's a great point. You need somebody who's going to challenge you and, and know things that you don't know. Mm-hmm. You need to hire your hire to, to fill the weaknesses that you have. And we all have those. Um, one of the best things you can do for yourself and we can all apply this is to know what those weaknesses are so you can address them. Yeah. I, um, I, I would completely agree. And so, uh, one of the, one of the, one of the impacts with a younger generation is that they, they have perspectives on technology. They have perspectives on um, modern economies from their education that may be useful. Yeah. They may have some that are not useful at all. Right, right. But to the average guy out there who's trying to find somebody who is, um, who is reliable and who understands uh, new technology or new, new trends, uh, millennials can be helpful for that. Younger yeah. people can be. Yeah. I think we found that here at Master's Choice. And I, I, you're exactly right because there's days that I have to like, help me with my email. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, that, and you know, and things in, in agriculture are, are changing very yes. rapidly. We're seeing more yes. and more modern technology coming into the farm. You know, so bringing in, bringing in some of those, uh, uh, those younger employees, you know, a lot of times can, can, bring new life to the farm, um, right. you know, and, and create new opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, you're, you're exactly right. The, the pace of, of agriculture changing is, is really pretty fast. New technology, uh, from, from the way we plant to the way that we harvest to what's on the seed treatment to why we need to do this, just new practices is, is really unbelievable. And sometimes, I'll, and I'll you spec from the you spoke from the yeah spec I don't spake. know spake is actually a, is a word is it really yeah you can say spake I spake and um <laughs> and then uh so you spoke from the from the young position I'll I'll speak from from the older position there that that there are a lot of times we get stuck in a rut you know and and we go well this is the way we got to get it done and this is the way I've always done it and and somebody with a fresh perspective can can be so more enlightening at times if if we'll let them and, and we absolutely should let that person uh you know bring bring that fresh pers- perspective mm-hmm. that can be very helpful and, and very productive one of the things that we do here is we very rarely hire people from seed corn professions right um you know when you look at the staff that is here um, most folks came in with limited experience in in seed corn and dairy farm uh uh, knowledge that that type of stuff. Most of it has been learned uh, on the job, right? And you know, so you know, experience in in specific tasks is not always necessary. It's more right. about finding the right person but and the right fit. The right person to fit because you know, there's a lot of things that that guys would you know coming coming from a, a livestock background, but not necessarily a dairy nutrition background. There are a lot of questions I could say. Well, why don't we do this? And you know, and and, and some of those older guys are like, well, I don't know. I never, I never thought about that. You know, why, why can't we make corn look like this? You know, I, I don't know. We just, we just never have. I just, we, you know, we, we always thought that corn was, was yellow. You know, who cares if it's yellow? What if it, you know, what if purple corn feeds better? You know, I don't know that it does. I'm just, you know. Don't, don't give away our secrets. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I feel like you're trying to spend money right now. It's just <laughs> like, I have this feeling in my head. Uh, may, maybe I am. <laughs> But but really, I think it's about finding that guy who 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 really fits and and um, and that we can can really work together with to to accomplish to accomplish a goal. You know, 
I think that communicating that goal is very important, mm-hmm. and 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 finding somebody who can who can play uh, play off on that for sure. And circling back to the hiring practices, you touched on a really important part there too, which is that you have to make sure. Um, when you do hire somebody on your farm, that expectations are made clear up front. Very, very good. Um, we have, you know, I don't think there's any harm in, in admitting that we've had, we've all made really good decisions. We made really bad decisions. Hiring works the same way. You're, yeah. you, you're just not going to have 100% success. And a lot of the failure is going to come from not making things clear up front. Could be. Expectations yeah. For, yeah. for what people are supposed to do or how things are supposed to be run. Um so before you before you set out to hire anybody, what you need to do first is make sure number one that the position is needed, and number two that you can clearly and effectively communicate to somebody why they're needed and what their job is. Yeah. And you wouldn't think that necessarily. You know, you think, oh, I I need I need a farmhand. That's self-explanatory. Most of the time, it's not. Um, there can there can be a lot of different forms that a job can take, and so uh, have a good idea of how you might explain to somebody you hire. Uh, what their job is going to be very specifically. I, I think that's a great, I think that's a, an absolute great point. And you're right. No, we're never going to bat a thousand, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you could have all of those things lined out and then realize, you know what, this just, I go perfect interview, a, answer the questions, right. You know, eat, maybe even came in for, for a little while and looked like it was all going to be roses. And then, you know, you just realize this, this just isn't a fit. You're, you're, we're never going to be able to, to, to do that. Um, thankfully, uh, with me, you know, um, you know, you you've all in, in, indulged the quirkiness and, and 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 not kicked me out yet. Like I said, we have lots, <laughs> lots of podcast topics for another day. <laughs> One of the you know, and and Alex, you mentioned it there. You know that uh, you know we're not going to get all these decisions right. We're we're going to make we're going to make some mistakes in the hiring process along the way. One of the things that that I have learned here, um, you know, is that um, being able to admit when you've made a wrong decision and being able to sit down and clearly clearly communicate that and let's let's figure out either how do we fix this or let's or let's go separate ways. I feel like y'all are setting me up for later. I just want you to know this. <laughs> I told you we have a lot to talk about. <laughs> but Kevin's absolutely right. You can and, and in this way, from a business planning standpoint, you can almost look at mistakes as a driver for success because mistakes very, are a tool. Very much so. Um, and then the the R and D uh, department here actually comes to mind with what they do with with research. Yeah. The way that they the way they test things is basically to find failures and weed them out. Right. Um, and that's how we make our, 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 I mean, we do predictions, hopefully, that are more successful than that. But the mistakes are just a way of going, okay, we don't have to waste resources on this anymore. We can, we can direct them over here. And, and so not being afraid of failure is, is a pretty critical part of hiring as well. So you got to know, you got to know that you might make the wrong decision. That's okay. Okay. Just be ready to fix it. Makes sense. Now, so, all right, I want you to, I want you two to wrap this up. And I want you to kind of answer this question, all right? So, what 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 is your what drives you to keep coming to Master's Choice every day? Uh, you know, what what is it that, that you that you really like about working here? You this, keep you keep taking off really big bites. This is a that's a tough one. I mean, to to sum up, it's a tough one. So I I'll I'll take the first stab at it. Um, so there, you know. There, there are a lot of things about coming to work at Master's Choice that that I love. Um, you know, legitimately every single day when I get up to come to work, I look forward to coming to work. Yeah. Um, you know, and th- there are not many places that where I can work where I'm not going to wake up dreading to go to work. Yeah. Um, you know, 
the, the people that are here are far superior to any, any place that I could imagine. And, and the environment here is far superior than I, than I could ever imagine. You know, so from a personal standpoint, um, you know, it, it's just a, it's just a lot of fun. You know, we, we have, we have a lot of fun here now from a professional standpoint. Um, we have an incredible opportunity here. Um, you know, some of the things that are coming out of R and D, some of the things, the Mark that you're working on, uh, with paired with us uh, on the genetic side, man, we can really change modern agriculture and we can really make an impact on the farm. Um, and that, you know, that passion for developing products that are really going to make an impact and really going to help people's bottom line, you know, professionally that, that really drives me, you know, and I, I, you know, that the future for us is, is so bright and we've got so many cool things coming that it just, it kind of adds to a lot of the excitement. Makes sense. Good. Alex? Similar. Okay. Different, but similar. So if I had to sum it up, I would say that, um, our, our ability to not only maintain the some progress in agriculture but to accelerate it and to make it better every day cool. is a reality for us at the at master's choice <clears throat> and i think it i think it uh can actually be applied to a lot of different businesses as well in the agriculture industry down to uh a, a, you know a, a dairy farmer or or just just anybody they they can they can sell a dream of wanting to do something unique uh something that's not just you know we'll punch in it at six in the morning, we'll punch out at six right. at night and, you know, you'll get your paycheck and every once in a while we have days off. That's, that's kind of a, that's a bummer. It would be know? a bummer. Be a and bummer it's job. not unique and it doesn't, it doesn't keep people engaged. But if you have a chance to present somebody with something that's unique, something that could, something that could, uh, make a difference in the world. I don't yeah. want, I don't, I don't want to use our, our slogan off our bags all the time. Cause then it gets cheesy, but but really, that's what it is: is yeah. that we, you know, from the products that we that we sell at Master's Choice to the to the people that work here, our goal is in all circumstances: are you making a difference? Yeah. And those are the things we pursue. If it's just maintaining, probably not. Good, guys. I want to thank you again for joining me today, and uh, appreciate your your honest and open comments and dialogues. And so, um, I want to thank you guys out there listening. Appreciate you joining in. Hey, uh, always remember us that we are on Instagram, uh, YouTube, and you can always look us up on seedcorn.com. Thanks. Oh, hey, Facebook Live. Y'all have a good day.